choices. We all make them every day. Which dress, right? Which shirt, slack, or blouse I'm going to wear today? How many of you had to go through that process this morning? You know? Should I brush my teeth before or after the shower, which I may or may not take? <laughs> right? <laughs> Careful, Jerry. You don't want to go there, right? Right? Or how should I wear my hair today? That must have been really quite a challenge for some. Maybe not for all, but for some, right? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry about that, Michael. <laughs> Should I go to church this morning or I sleep in? And I want to thank you that you did not sleep in, by the way, right? Will I put my smartphone away for just a moment so I can have a decent meal with my children and my family? Right? These are the easy choices, right? Indeed, most of the choices we are all called upon to make in our day-to-day -day life really do not seem like they're about choosing life, do they? They may not be life and death choices, but they are choices which lean us toward life or death. Think about it. Every one of them is. Perhaps, perhaps they prepare us for the day when the choice we're offered will be monumental and life-changing. For instance, when you choose between staying in a marriage or a job that is not about life, but about death. When you venture out not knowing what this new life holds, but knowing that the all was surely not right. That day when you will need to dig deep to find courage to speak the truth, even knowing the consequences for you may be less desirable. Or the day when you will sit at the bedside of a dear one and know that it rests with you both to decide what life will look for him or her or whether or not you trust the promised life yet to come. These are the hard and difficult choices. And so, it is helpful that Moses' last sermon frames it in such a way that he reminds us that all our choices really come down to one single choice. Will I love God or won't I? Will my choice in how I live reflect that love or won't it? And the stakes I high. Standing on the far side of the Jordan, waiting to cross over, Moses readies himself to give his last sermon to his people. And he says, make a choice. Life and prosperity, death and adversity, blessings or curses. The Israelites, here's the background, the Israelites had just emerged from the rule of an abusive dictator. They wandered in the desert for 40 years and now were standing on the shores of the promised land. It was a second chance. 
It was a new beginning. And on this momentous occasion, Moses, not able to cross over with them, offers one last pep talk and says, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. In fact, if I didn't know any better, I imagine Moses being a good Jew, and he would not take this moment to raise his glass and offer that great Jewish toast, Lahaim, which means to life. And this is this morning's background, and I invite us then to turn to the reading in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we begin our story on verse 15. Listen for the word of God. See, I said before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways and observing His commandments, decrees and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and holding fast to Him. For that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. May God bless our experience, as well as our understanding, the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. Creator God, you know the needs in our hearts, and surely, surely you know the needs in our minds and and those that we try to keep so private, deep within ourselves. And in this season of Epiphany, Lord, as we continue in this journey to seek and to find, we pray that you will manifest yourself this morning and throughout this week, that you will make us known of your holy presence, and as you do that, Lord, that you will draw us closer to one another, but most importantly, that you draw us closer to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> so choose life. What does that mean? Right? What does that mean? Or easier yet, right? What does it not mean? For Moses... Choosing life was not a license to go worshiping some kind of crazy idols in which we fill our life with. Flat screen TVs in every single room. 
iPads, mega houses, the last fountain of youth cream, and more money. More money that you can figure out how to use it. Maybe you and I do not have a giant golden cow in our house. Maybe you do. But we all have things that we revere, that we covet, or prioritize over God's teachings. Ralph Waldo Emerson had this to say about things we idolize. And he said, that which dominates our imagination and our thoughts will determine our life and our character. That which dominates your imagination and your thoughts is going to determine your life and your character. So church, beware, therefore, for idols that we worship, we become. So in verse 20, Moses clearly outlines what life is. He says, loving the Lord your God, obeying God, and holding steadfast to God. You remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Micah, and Micah said, what does the Lord require of you? You remember that, church? God requires of you to Thank you. In this case, Moses tells us early in the story, in the narrative, that loving your Lord, your God, and obeying God, and holding steadfast to God gives you life. Well, this past week, I began reading, I began reading uh, this book, which is our Lenten study book that I was talking about early. It's by Max Lucado, and it's, the name is, He Chose the Nails, What God Did to Win Your Heart. Now, it may be a spoiler to those of you who are going to attend the class, but I could not resist to use the example on chapter 6 of the book that Max Lucado writes about how to best illustrate then what Moses meant when he says the word, See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. And he goes on to say, Choose life so that your descendants may live. So I'm going to read from chapter 6, experts from chapter 6, on uh, what I think Moses meant when he spoke those words. So how many of you are Shakespeare aficionados in the church? I think many of you are, literature, fans. And uh, so how many of you then know Edwin Thomas? That name sounds familiar, Edwin Thomas. I finally get over one over uh, Dr. Custer, because he's an amazingly well-read man, right? So, during the latter part of the 1800, Edwin Thomas was a master Shakespeare actor. By the age of 15, he debuted in Richard III, age 15. Can you imagine that? In New York City, he performed Hamlet a hundred times, a hundred consecutive nights. Amazing. 
Edwin Thomas had two brothers, John and Janus, both actors, by the way, but not to the level of his brother, or their brother. In 1863, the three siblings worked together in a play, Julius Caesar. And John played the role of Brutus, who happens to be Julius Caesar's assassin, right? John, who took the role of the assassin in Ford's theater, is the same brother to Edwin and Junius, and he is the same man who shot President Clinton. I mean, President Lincoln. (laughs) And his full name was John Wilkes Booth. So needless to say, right, needless to say, uh, this was a horrible incident, and Edwin never, never was able to be the same. And the reason for that, he was ashamed of his brother's act. So he dropped off from theater. But as life will have it, God uses any occasion and every person to turn things toward God. And at a train station in New Jersey, while waiting on the train, there was this young man who uh, nicely dressed. He was pressed by the crowd lost his footing and fell between the platform and the moving train. And without hesitation, Edwin locked a leg around a railing, grabbed the man, and pulled him to safety. And after the sights of relief, the young man recognized the famous Edwin Booth. However, Edwin failed to recognize the young man that he had rescued. And some weeks later, says the story, a letter was received to Edwin. And it was a letter that was written by General Adams Boudreau, happens to be the chief secretary to General Ulysses S. Grant. And the letter was thanking Edwin Booth for saving the life of the child of an American hero, Abraham Lincoln. How ironic that while one brother killed the president, the other brother saved the president's son. The boy Edwin Booth yanked to safety was Robert Todd Lincoln. So Edwin and John Booth, same father, same mother, same profession and passion, yet one chooses life and the other death. How could it be? How could it happen? Well, this is not unique. Abel and Cain, sons of Adam and Eve. Abel chooses God. Cain chooses murder. And God lets him. Abraham and Lot, pilgrims in Canaan. Abraham chooses God. Lot chooses Sodom. And God Letson. David and Saul, kings of Israel. David chooses God. Saul chooses power. And God lets him. Peter and Judas, disciples of Jesus who both denied their Lord. Peter seeks mercy and Judas seeks death. And God lets him. You see, in every age in history, 
on every page of Scripture, the truth is revealed. God allows us to make our own choices. And one makes this clearer than Jesus. We can choose a narrow or a wide gate. We can choose a big or a small crowd, build on a rock or sand, serve God or riches, be numbered among the sheep or the goats. God gives choices, and these choices have eternal consequences. Now here is a bit of a spoiler for those of you who sign up for the study. And Max Lucado goes and says, Ever wonder why there were two crosses next to Christ? Why not six or ten? Ever wonder why Jesus was at the center? Why not the far right or the far left? Could it be that the two crosses on the hill symbolize one of God's greatest gifts? The gift of choice? Although the two criminals have a lot in common, they were convicted by the same system, condemned to the same death, surrounded by the same crowd, one of them had an epiphany moment. And in that moment, he offered a prayer to Christ, to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You know, we look back over our lives and say, if only... If only I could make up for those bad choices. Well, we can. We surely can. In every age, there are moments when it is again today. A Kairos moment in which God's people individually and collectively are offered life and prosperity, death and adversity. And whenever God's word is read, it is again today in which each of us must decide how we will respond. And remember the two early questions? Will I love God or won't I? Will my choice in how I live reflect that love or won't it? Those are the real, simple choices that we have. As for me, as for my household, I raise my hand and I say, Laheim, may it be so for you as well as for me.